0: what is good everybody this is ross jackson from locked on saints you are listening to mtmv sports my team my voice your team their voice they got you covered every day every time that you need it keep it locked
1: hello and welcome to the know your personnel podcast We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right. Welcome back to the KYP podcast. I have a great guest with us here today, head coach. Of the Fresno Pacific University men's basketball team, Coach CJ Haydock. Coach, thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, Nick, thanks for having me. For sure,
1: uh, Coach just finished his fourth year. Gosh, it does not seem like four years. I remember when you were first hired, and to look at you now, and four years later, and being able to keep that job and steadily improve the program. Um, how quickly does that stuff go by, Coach?
0: Uh, you blink. <laughs> <laughs> you blink, and it's. Uh just flies I mean it's the 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 fast-paced world of college basketball is is insane and so um you know it just flies by there's no question I can't believe it's been four years
1: so let's start from the beginning um how you got into coaching your mentors your influences was it like an aha moment was it something you always wanted to do talk to us about you know how you got into the game and started and ended up being a college coach
0: yeah, uh I think I think my story is a lot like a lot of coaches um in the world uh where I had an elite uh obviously I think my uh <laughs> my desire to stay attached to sport outpaced my athletic ability.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and the other part of that is I had an elite high school coach, and I mean elite not only in terms of his preparation as an X's and O's, uh, but also in terms of his relational investment. His name was Chris Schultz and um, he, uh, at Fresno Christian High School, and um, you know, uh, I talked to him two days ago, one of the greatest mentors in my life. I got married at 22, and Coach Schultz was in my wedding as a groomsman. Uh, just someone who showed me the influence available to us as coaches and the relational side. And so um when it was pretty clear that my ambitions to stay attached to sport were uh we're gonna need to be in the coaching realm. Uh you know, I started out as a division five J V high school assistant and lots of influences. I've kind of taken an, an abnormal path in the fact that I'm I've I just finished my sixteenth year of coaching overall, um, 11 of those at the high school level. And in those 16 years, I've only been an assistant coach for six years. And so, um, obviously coach Schultz was a tremendous influence. I worked for Rob Streeter for a while and his grasp of X's and O's challenged me in a lot of ways. Um, but then you got to find like mentors outside of where you work. And so, you know, um, One of my favorite stories I tell like to our assistants that we hire, our young coaches about seeking information is uh, when my son was born in 2012, um, I took the night shift with him uh, and I had NBA TV. And that was when Mike Dunlap was coaching the the terrible, terrible Charlotte Bobcats teams. And um, I remember watching NBA TV. I'm a big Spurs fan, so I would always watch the Spurs game. And if there wasn't a Spurs game at three in the morning when I was up feeding them, I would tune into the Bobcats and uh like i've never met mike dunlap but i think he's a mentor to me because the way technology advances like i watched almost every game that season of like an 11 win <laughs> bobcats team and the experimental side they'd play zone one game they'd have five centers on the floor and then the next game they'd play small ball cuz they were just trying to figure it out and i think like to all of us in 2020 that information and that mentorship can take on different degrees. Of course, we need people like relationally invested in us. But because of the access to information, um, if we're relentless enough in our pursuit of knowledge, you know, um, it's definitely available on a wide scale.
1: Interesting. It's interesting to hear you say that, um, that you look up to mentor, you use people as mentors that you haven't really met. Uh, Do you actively go out and kind of seek out mentors and people to work with? Or does it kind of happen organically? Um, how do you do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like, obviously I think when you're young and impressionable, like coach Schultz with me as a high school coach, and then later I got to work for him as an assistant. Um, obviously you have your influences that way, um, that you hope you stay in contact with. Uh, I think in such a competitive world, if you're not seeking access to personal growth, be that X's and O's, be that player development, be that leadership ability, Um, if you are not seeking that out, you're going to get left behind. Um, Athletics is so, so cutthroat, so competitive. Um, And so, you know, uh, I think, I think we find ourselves in people we, we, we mirror who, we admire and we try to find them. Um, I'm a massive Buzz Williams fan and try to track what he does and their style of play and their relationship stuff and their culture building. And um, I think I think you have to seek it out to a degree if you're going to survive in this business.
1: That's a good point. I, I'm actually happy to hear you say that. That's why I started this uh, podcast was to help myself develop professionally and to kind of do something that might influence other people because being stuck at home now all this time. I don't, you know, I'm not around the gym, not around the guys. I'm not getting better as I like to think I was every day before. Uh, and so, you know, I guess it just kind of happened with me. Just, you know, I, I needed something, you know, needed people to talk to, needed to get better. And so I, I'm pleased to hear you say that. Um, let's start here uh, at the beginning because you coached at several different high schools before you landed at uh, Emmanuel, which was kind of your 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 liftoff place. Talk about uh, the different high schools that you started at, uh, what you learned, uh, different
0: programs going from one place to another in just a short amount of time. Yeah. So I started my career at Fresno Christian, where I was an alum from, and um, kind of learned my basis of coaching um started for a different head coach and then my head coach who had coached me in high school came back he had been at Westmont in Santa Barbara coaching at the NAIA level had been a men's assistant and a women's head coach and uh that was where the cost of preparation came available to me with someone who had coached at the college level um some style play stuff in terms of you know brought back some of the Princeton stuff and the the level of detail and um just the the level of execution and knowledge required to run some Princeton stuff Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of X's and O's. Uh, and then, too, I think the biggest thing that occurred for me at Fresno Christian was the knowledge of, like, what it took, the price to be successful, um, the the amount of hours. Um, my first two years there, I coached. And then for two years, I taught there as well. And, like, when my wife and I first got married, we moved into the apartments that were literally adjacent to the campus. So I could just walk through a gate 100 feet from my apartment. And be on campus, and then participated in all the youth building and all that stuff, and kind of fell in love with it um, uh, at Fresno Christian. And then you know too, for me, um, working for someone who had alignment who I knew that the track record of, of what they had done for me in my personal life kind of cemented like that life mission uh, in terms of who I wanted to be as a coach, in terms of the influence I wanted to have on young people, in terms of the privilege of leading them. Uh, and those things. And so uh then from there I got my first head coaching job. I got hired at twenty one uh at Liberty High School. Um and uh I made that jump and maybe prematurely. I think you know Dave Severance, who's maybe maybe the preeminent sharer of knowledge in Fresno Hoops history, mm-hmm. uh he's got something he says that's really powerful. Never take a bad job. And I think like He's not wrong. And I think some of the challenges we faced at Liberty uh, in terms of winning the support we needed outside of our um, outside of just student athletes in terms of parent buy in, in terms of community buy in, in terms of administrative support. uh, I think I had to learn that lesson pretty hard um, as a 21 year old in my first head coaching job um, a bunch of different ways. And, uh, from there went to Clovis North as an assistant for one year under Rob Streeter and played in the track, which I, I don't know if there's a league in California with better, um, coaching, <laughs> mm-hmm. all those guys, all those guys at those Clovis schools could easily jump right into the Pac West where I am now and be very, very successful. There's, there's not a, <laughs> there's not a differentiation that's for sure. And then, and then went on to Emmanuel, um, from there, so uh, you know, I was a high school coach for eleven years, and, re- and really prepared me in a lot of way um, for small college basketball. That's for sure.
1: So let's talk about uh, Emmanuel because you eventually built Emmanuel into a state power. Uh, you had several uh, D one guys and guys getting college scholarships, which from that school before that was unheard of. Um, how did you build that program? How did you take what you learned from bouncing around to a couple places to finally land there and let that place
0: grow? Yeah, I think it's important. Um, I think it's important to note that Emmanuel had won a ton of section titles and had been a small school powerhouse. When I got there the year before we we got there, it had fallen on some hard times. I think they had four wins the year before I showed up. Um, but there was like certainly the infrastructure of success. There was certainly the administrative support. Um, <laughs> you know, while we were there, uh, the level of investments and in the school transition to being a one-to-one iPad school. Uh, revitalize the gym put in a new strength and conditioning facility just a ton of investment I think like I I, I think some of the lessons in terms of like what it took in terms of community support in terms of administrative leadership um, I think Emmanuel was primed to take off that way and did so in every sport Um, and you know I think the biggest learning that occurred for me at Emmanuel uh, was just the sense of like all right, how do you be authentic? How do all of us as coaches be do it our own way, be authentic to who we are, find our own stride, hold guys accountable the way we, we think is most effective. Um, and I think the intersection of all my preparation kind of hit their stride. And then just unbelievable alignment with the leadership at Emmanuel in terms of, and the community support at Emmanuel in terms of how they wanted to see the school succeed w- was in line with the basketball program and i think for us we really believed and we really convinced our guys in our program that our success was the success as an institution it was our community success it was 50 years of alumni who were sitting in the stands um, we really convinced our team that that really mattered Uh, and that resonated deeply and so uh, you know and and then like anywhere else a lot of good players showed up at Emmanuel and and you can't win if you don't have good players and so um, we were in the right place at the right time that's for sure and and got really really lucky in terms of not only caliber talent we got to coach but then the character of those young men and their selflessness and commitment to a vision um, was was really really incredible.
1: It's interesting how you uh, hear me how I hear you talk about the administration I don't run into too many coaches who are successful and uh, who don't praise their administration for uh, you know setting things up for them you know supporting them having all the uh, the doing the best they can do with the resources that they have and and so you know I had never heard that side of it but now it makes perfect sense that uh, what you wanted was uh, was in was in line with what the administration wanted and they both then you add the players and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're in the state championships, uh, uh for Southern California. Um, so I hear you talk about your, your philosophy and, and more times than not character building relationships, getting to know the players, working with the players comes up more than anything. How did you build, what are your strategies for building relationships with players and how did that start at Emmanuel?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think first and foremost, um, that's got to be something that is deeply sometimes that comes at the expense of X's and O's and you got to choose what you find to be more valuable to a your life's purpose, but B to winning. And I would argue you can have it all if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, there's a ton of like common practices that are really important, but at the end of the day, your faithfulness to your team, your faithfulness to them, knowing that you're invested in them, your conversations with them about them, knowing that you care about more than what they do and how they cover up ball screen, um, is going to affect those relationships more than anything else, and so uh, one of the like small things we did at Emmanuel that we still do to this day. a uh, Couple things: number one, uh, before every practice, I always want to be on the floor first, uh, which gets more complex at the NC two A level because of the clock rules and whatnot. But um, uh, I want to touch every single, physically touch every single guy in my gym. I want to dap him, and I want to make sure I ask a question about his life that has nothing to do with basketball. And if you add up that faithfulness day in and day out, day in and day out, even the guys who maybe just want you to show up and tell them what to do on the floor, eventually they're gonna, you're gonna have a breakthrough with them if you're faithful to that every single day. Um, two other things we started doing was. Uh, inviting our whole staff in three or four times a year for player evaluations that were formalized in terms of really, really clear communication in terms of, hey, you bring in, you grade yourself on all the characteristics we value, selflessness, humility, communication, work ethic. And then you come in here with us, our five or six coaches, and, and on a scale of one to 10, we're going to tell you what each and every one of us thinks where you are and kind of make you confront the reality of who you think you are versus what your habits actually are. Uh, and that honesty can happen in a way that's like very kind and loving and very purposefully uh, pointed towards growth as opposed to belittling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that honest honesty is really refreshing for young people. And then just tell them like, hey, this is if we started playing today, you know, we would do them at the end of uh, spring. Uh, if we started playing play in today, uh, next November, this is where you'd be. You'd be our ninth guy. And if you want to be our seventh guy, these are the guys you have to beat out. And these are the skills we need to see develop. Um, and so we started that. And then the last thing we started is, and it, it's all just time and investment. Um, we still do them to this day. We call them first things meetings where uh, every guy in my program to this day meets with me once a week for 10 to 15 minutes we call them first things meetings because we we avoid hoop cost at as much cost mm-hmm. as possible mm-hmm. uh, try to make sure they know that we're trying to help them chase their dreams that aren't basketball what's going on in your life uh when's the last time you talked to your mother um what what are you struggling with academically how's your workload um how's your time management all those things and that just like that consistent faithfulness in relationships that that have nothing to do with basketball eventually gets you the breakthroughs you need with your team um to, to have the kind of influence you want to have with them
1: so you're telling me every day before practice um you uh you meet with each player just to make small talk about their day or what's going on every single day before every practice
0: so that, those, so I meet once a week with our guys, like a formal meeting. They have to come in. They check it off. Mm-hmm. Um, do that for 10 minutes. Every day before practice, I'll make my way around the gym, and I'll try to have a two-minute – we're pretty strict about Our guys got to be on the floor yeah. 15 to 20 minutes before practice starts. And I'm gonna, I'm going to give them whatever it is, a bro hug, a, a fist bump, a high five, a handshake, whatever it is, and I'm going to ask each and every one of them at least one question that's not basketball-related every single day. And I'm going to have a physical touch with them and a connection about something not related to basketball every single day. And I've done that for, oh gosh, I'm on probably year eight or nine of that. Um, At the college level, sometimes that's complex. You got a guy coming in late from class and treatment or whatever, Um, but that's an intentional effort I make every single day. And sometimes, you know, to break down those, that can be uncomfortable for 19 and 20 year olds to have someone trying to have like be all in your business but uh if you do it on the floor right like I can form shoot right next to them and, and that breaks down the walls because it makes it a little more comfortable and all those things but no every single day for uh, I'm on at least year eight of that before practice every single dude on my team is going to get that connection with us
1: wow I mean that that's pretty impressive I don't know if I've met anybody who's explained that to me that they meet with have a small meeting with their player every day before practice, which basically practices every day. And then meets with each player at least once a week individually in your office or wherever uh, to go over things with them for 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, it, it, you have to know your players pretty well uh, by that. That takes a lot of time out of your day and out of things that you need to be doing as the coach to do that. So it's, it's clear where you put, Uh, your emphasis uh, in in building with the players. That's pretty impressive.
0: And you could see how for the wrong guy who comes from a different background, um, that's not for everybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's one of our biggest things we found out early at FPU was that like, not everybody wants that so we try to be really like we spend more time explaining that component in recruiting than anything else Mm because otherwise like some some guys just want their coach to show up and teach them how to play basketball Mm -hmm. and that's cool I get that but that's that's not our model Hmm. interesting
1: so you go from high school and you end up getting on the bench as an assistant coach at FPU Uh, talk about that transition from high school to college
0: Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I think, I think high school was the best prep for small college. Um, I've worked with um, other assistants when I was an assistant or head coaches. I've, I've, high, I've had seven or eight assistants um, rotate through our program at FPU. And I think like small college basketball, I think high school is the best prep for that. Um, my staff right now all has high school experience, the predominant amount of guys I've hired on my staff, all of high school experience, because (laughs) I think the illusion in in big college basketball, the amount of things you have taken care of you uh, sets an unrealistic precedent for you. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to mop the floors and we're going to set up the bleachers for our home games and we're going to do every load of laundry and all those things. So I think actually my high school prep, I think high school preparation um, in a lot of ways for the level we're at is better. Um, but that adjustment, I think the biggest thing, the hoop was hoop, like adjustments are adjustments. Um, high level high school coaches and, and college coaches, There there's not a, there's not a di- differentiation. I think I grew up um, like lots of young coaches, like kind of glorifying college basketball. And then I got there um, and was like, oh, like this is, this is the same preparation. These are the same schemes. Maybe they're more evolved and more complex because you got mm-hmm. a higher level But the X's and O's largely what works in high school works in college. The biggest adjustment for me, I think, um, was definitely the navigation of A, the NC2A stuff in terms of compliance, and B, trying to find my feet in recruiting, um, recruiting is, is a is a is a monster task, and it requires a lot more relentlessness than I I think I knew. It requires a lot more uh, relational investment in people who are not the player um, than I knew. Um, and so that was I learned some really hard lessons and made some really strong mistakes in recruiting early on, um, as I just trying to find my feet in it. And um, so the recruitment side definitely was the hardest adjustment. Um, in that way,
1: at a school like yours, and you guys are D two, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, there's so much shifting. I mean, even the internet sometimes has it wrong. Uh, there's so much shifting with divisions and, and and leagues, and everything. I have to ask, but it leads me to my question. Explain to our viewers what the typical day for a division two assistant would entail, as far as your workload, your roles and responsibilities, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's going to fluctuate a ton. Um, the nice thing about college basketball is it ebbs and flows. So there will be days and weeks and hopefully not months where you don't see your family. And then, you know, when we get into our slower seasons in the spring and summer um, you know, it, it ebbs pretty aggressively where you only work four or five hours a day for a couple weeks on end and then it, it hits again. But uh, you know, I remember <laughs> there was a time where um, when I was an assistant in October and November, when we were, on the road recruiting the most where we were on a string of 6 a.m. practices so I would show up at 4 15 in the morning and hang the laundry and prep the gym and do all the things uh, and try to be on the floor by like 5 30 getting ready for the practice have practice from like 6 to 8 a.m. and then uh, maybe run home and take my kids to school come back to the office try to manage travel budgets academics with your guys all those things uh and then if it if it's a recruiting season maybe leave at like 1 or 2 in the afternoon and and drive to LA San Francisco Sacramento San Diego in some cases watch a high school game make sure guys knew we were there for them drive home and then be back in the gym at 4 15 the next morning. Mm -hmm. It it goes like that sometimes. But you know, the utility part at our level is wild. Like I said, like, just the day to day management of making sure checking in on your guys academically, making sure laundry is done, making sure all your travel planning in terms of car rentals and hotels and financing equipment, um, and all that stuff uh, is taken care of. And then you throw in scouts, um, and recruitment films and contact and all that the The school year from August until we get out the first week of May. So kind of early, those nine months are nonstop. You come up for air for an hour or two every about once a week. And other than that, you are just flying everywhere um, with all the responsibilities um, because, you know, uh, like I, right now I have, I have four assistants on my staff. One is full-time myself is full-time. Uh, and the rest of them are, are are not paid to to give us full-time hours. They certainly try to. Um, so just the level of responsibility where Division One will have eight, nine guys dividing that up full-time, you really got two. And so um, it, it's absolute chaos, and you got to have a ton of utility and flexibility to make it all work. It's
1: refreshing to hear you, and not just you, but most of the college coaches I talk to. I think our listeners would be surprised to hear how many college coaches do the players' laundry. Uh, you're not the first one. You're not even the second one who's told that to me as I go through these podcasts. And, you know, a lot of people, I think they watch TV and they see the games and they see the band playing and, and everyone cheering. they that, That's what I want. But they don't think about the 415, getting in the gym, pulling out the bleachers, mopping the floor, getting the players laundry ready. Uh, and then two hours of practice. Your basketball was two hours, and then the rest of the day is all off the court stuff. And when you say, you know, even full time, and we don't even need to get into this, but a full time assistant uh, at uh, Division two is still not making near enough compared to the workload that that you guys have. So you're basically doing it for free, a little bit over free, uh, and that's what a lot of people I think don't understand until they get into it, just how time intensive and just how many things outside of the court. That is, real, that is required of you as an assistant coach, and even as that coach?
0: Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, I think <laughs> I want to know more. When I interview assistant coaches that want to come work with us or whatever, uh, I want to know more about your interest in service because I'm going to ask you to do a ton of things that um, are are. now the price we live the best life we get a you know (laughs) we get a focus full-time on trying to win basketball games and further young people's lives like there's no greater enjoyment than that but there's a price to be paid for that and so you know (laughs) and that's not unique to Fresno Pacific like I don't know a head coach in my conference who isn't doing laundry and and mopping floors and doing all those things so that's just that's the price you pay every day as part of the um, price
1: So you move from being uh, the assistant coach to the head coach, and there's a couple layers in that because it's tough. It's not often that you see a person whose last head coaching experience was at a high school level, Division Five high school, end up taking over at a Division Two college university. You must have really wowed them in your interview process. You must have really made an impression on them during your time on the bench as an assistant.
0: I think – you know, I think there was an intersection of right place, right time. I think mm-hmm. um, the local flair. Um, we were the Emmanuel run had been in recent history where we had really kind of galvanized our community, um, and uh, and you know, there's some overlap in terms of the the faith based side of FPU and Emmanuel in terms of they're the same denomination. Sure. Um, and I think like relentless faithfulness uh pays off. So I I fought for that job. <laughs> mm-hmm. I fought for that job for a month while they were trying to figure out what they were doing and I think part of the the temperature of the climate of the of what they were after in terms of a realignment um uh, be more focused on uh four-year student athletes at Fresno Pacific, be more focused at academic excellence and community service. Um, I think that alignment put me in a really good position at the right place and the right time, but there was some days that I really had to fight for that job. There's no question. Um, Now you're, now you're the head coach. So
1: you are a head coach on a team where you were previously an assistant and the relationship, at least is in my experience, the relationship between an assistant coach and the players and the head coach and the players is different. How was that transition with the same players where you were at first, their assistant, and now you're the head coach of the program.
0: It was really hard. It was really hard. Um, I think, you know, like I described earlier, like our, our guys, you know, for 16 years of coaching, if I can like stand on one thing, it's that my teams get everything from me in terms of our service and my heart and all those things. And Mm -hmm. um, that transition was really hard. And it was, it was complex. Um, You know uh, no matter what the head coach relationship with players is always tinged because you, you have to make hard decisions and you can tell them you love them. You can tell, you can kindly encourage them as much as you want to grow in the way you want, but at the end of the day, you're still the dude who kept them on the bench, or you're still the dude who had to hold them accountable for missing class, and that will always, no matter how hard and how relentless um, and how perfectly you try to navigate the relationship side, that will always undercut you, Um, and assistants don't have to deal with that, Uh, and, you know, the other part that made it complex for that transition is, is I really sold, the administration at Fresno Pacific on a new direction for our program. And we were going to pull pretty aggressively that. So I was making the transition from being the good guy to being the guy that had to hold everybody accountable. And at the same time, fundamentally changing what we valued, what we did, how we talked. Uh, And early on there, there's no substitute for new head coaches for setting a really, really high bar and holding a really high degree of accountability as you, as that becomes immersed in part of your culture, uh, the bar will kind of set itself, right? Like now we're four years in and I've got an unbelievable group of seniors who they take care of 40% of that accountability and expectation setting for me. But in early you have to hit it and then you have to hit it again and again and again. And so, uh, that transition was really gut wrenching. Uh, it was challenging. Um, all of us were miserable sometimes, um, but that's the price you pay to try to, to to shift the momentum, to try to shift the value system uh, to get where you want to be. So it, it's hard to describe. There were some dark nights. There's no question about wondering if I was the right guy for the job and if we could get where we wanted to be. Um, just a really challenging shift from assistant to head coach for sure.
1: In, uh, w- and most people, when they get a head coaching job, whether they move up one seat in their in their own program or they go to a different program, that first thirty days or that first month or so on the job is very important in instilling your philosophies, your values, uh, your recruiting, what you expect from the players, the weight room, the academics, and fundraising and so on. And I know you're a very detail-oriented person, certainly. And I bet you had all this stuff planned out. How are your first thirty days as the head coach? How did you plan that out? And what did you execute on that to make it work for your program?
0: Chaos. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think right when it became apparent that I was in the mix, you start to get going on like, all right, so what's, what's the plan here? What are the, what are the, what are the 20 or 30 things I need to do first? And quickly those 20 or 30 things become two or 300 things. Um, And really, I mean, because of, I was the fourth head coach in, in, in 24 months at FPU, Right. Um, and we were trying to go just do it differently and be honest to our Valley roots and and do some other things. Really that first 30 days strung into the first hundred days, strung into the first 10 months in terms of the amount of chaos, in terms of rebuilding relationships, in terms of galvanizing uh, and trying to build a new recruitment network in terms of uh, local kids specifically. Um, And then, you know, the the reality is like I I had nine months of college assistant experience. And so um, what I thought needed to be done first probably wasn't right most of the time, if I'm being honest. Um, there was a lot of learning on the job. Um, you have these preconceived notions of what you think being a college head coach is. And you certainly try to like collect all your collective experience and leading people is the same. And being authentic is the same and relationships are the same and X's and O's are the same, but there's nuances to every level. And so um, I think for every good decision we made in that first 30 days, we probably made. A bad decision to go with it and then had to, you know, recover from that. And so um, it is hard to describe the level of chaos and excitement you have. Uh, trying to build a team, trying to put together a staff, trying to articulate your values in a way that makes sense, trying to be efficient with your time. Um, that first 30 a hundred days, uh the rush of that though, is also because you're just brimming with potential, right you You've achieved for me what was a lifelong dream um, to be a college head coach uh, so you, as chaotic as it is, it's just brimming with like potential of what it could be. Um, it's hard to describe the like spiritual, emotional, and intellectual rush that comes with that uh, every single day.
1: So let's talk about on the court now. You talked about learning about learning from uh, many different coaches, both ones that you know personally and ones that you were able to uh, seek out uh, either online or through games. Um, How did you develop your offensive and defensive philosophy? And how was the challenge of putting that in as a new head coach with these players?
0: Yeah, I think at the college level, right, you're dealing with, uh, especially with our model. So our recruitment model is we take really, really high character, high intellect guys. And um, so I think what I found is your level of preparation, which has always been really important to me. I think I learned that at a very young age mm-hmm. in my coaching career, your level of preparation in terms of the the narrowness of your terminology the, uh, the way you sell it to your guys, the incremental steps in which your um, introduction of your philosophy builds on each other. Uh, You only get to do those things once with college guys. And if there's errors in that, in those, in that process, they're hard to come back from. And so, you know, I, I think the game, you also, I also think there's a way like you have to take, all right, what does our league look like? What does our player um, recruitment network look like? Like what kind of players are we getting? What are their skill sets and what does our league look like? And how do we find a style of play that meshes that? So for example, when I got the job, um, you know, traditionally the powerhouses in our league are Concordia, of Irvine, Azusa Pacific, uh, Point Loma, uh, Chaminade. Those are probably the four um, consistently best four schools in our league. And we looked at them. We looked at their roster construction. And we saw um, it's changed a little bit because we've had some head coaching changes, but we saw um, we saw teams that were going to beat us in recruitment every time for six foot 10 plus guys. Um, Point Loma at that time was very post-oriented, was going to run in the swing and going to throw the ball to the block every other possession at a minimum. And uh, we saw that and said, okay, well, we're not beating those schools for those players, so how are we going to find a way to beat them? on the floor. And so we, that had to guide our style of play because of the player available to us. So for us, we went the other direction and said, okay, we're going to get maybe undersized forwards, but who are skilled, who pass it, who play make from the top of the key, who make threes, who can face up and drive you, um, and try to get back that disadvantage we're going to experience on the post on the other side. Um, and so then because we made that decision in recruitment, we then had to continue to evolve, um, on offense. Um, I think what i found on the college level is that, um, you want to sell guys on a style of play on offense. And if you want to sell it, you better be true to it. And, Guys don't want to come down and run plays every single time. (laughs) That's not what they want. So what I've found in college, the path to success at this level is less on offense and more wrinkles on defense Um, in terms of whatever that looks like on defense, whether you, even if you, you know, we're a predominantly man team, we play very, very little zone, but we got four different ball screen coverages. We'll play in a single game. Um, We'll play a non switch and and an all switch everything package. We got two or three different post coverages, Um, that are in our bag at all times. And so, um, but I I think like I, I think one of the common most common mistakes made in coaching is a failure to assess the whole situation of your league, your players at our level, the kind of players you can recruit. Um, and I think the people who can assess all those things and kind of create a style of play in alignment with those are the best chance to be successful.
1: So you look at your league, you look at your players, you look at the potential of the players that you can get, and then you shape your offense and defensive philosophies around that. Is that what
0: I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. So for example, like like I said, like we, we knew we weren't going to have great um, rim protector size. And so on offense, that shaped us with trying to get skilled forwards for the most part. Mm-hmm. So you could, pass dribble shoot it well on defense what that mean what that means is we became a non-pressure team because if you're going to pressure number one you got to have great athletes that's not what we recruit number two you got to have somebody to protect the rim at all times well that's also not what we recruit so we so we're a pack line defense team to try to make all the pieces um fit together in terms of what we recruit what will win in our league um and all those things. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of hallmarks of that. We really pride ourselves. Uh, we've led the the league the last two years in generating, um, the most ungu- unguarded catch and shoot threes. Um, you know, there's lots of hallmarks that you can hold that up to as metrics to, um, to measure yourself, to know if the path you've set, number one is viable for you. Number two is actually the correct path uh, to walk. Um, because you know, Head coaches change, uh, other teams get different players, all those things. And I think we, we all have to kind of be always malleable uh, in trying to figure out what's going to win at the level we're at in the, in the context we're in. That
1: makes sense. Let's talk about your um, player development, individual player development. Um, how do you teach skill development? And is it something you do during the season or is it an off-season thing? Uh, I know the hours are, are, you know, the hours that you can be in the gym with the players are limited. So, how much emphasis do you put on individual skill
0: development? A ton. I think first of all, um, I think personal development is player development. If that makes sense, I think if you, if you, if you create transcendent relationships, your player development is going to take off because you're going to get the buy-in you need. Um, And for us at FPU, uh, I have two, going into next year, I have two two all-league seniors, Adrian Antunes uh, from Clovis West and then Amande Coleman uh, from Las Vegas. Uh, When we recruited them, neither of them had another scholarship offer. It was us. Mm -hmm. And so that that speaks to the integralness of player development for us. We've had a lot of success with those guys that were were their only offer. And so um, player development then becomes front and center for us. But I think – the personal development thing is huge. We player development should look different from every single dude on your roster. And for us, you got to sell that. Um, I have another senior named AJ Kirby who played at uh, Bishop Montgomery high school and AJ for is going into his fifth year. He redshirted with us. So he's going to be a fifth year senior next year. And for, uh, for four years, we've told AJ, like, you know, you're one of the best wing defenders in the league that's your primary role and all we all we other, really need from you other than that is you know some footwork stuff so you don't turn it over and catch and shoot threes so for for 4 years aj has been sold out he's an unbelievable teammate he's a really high character young man he has been sold out to his skill workouts look like making threes on the move coming off of screens and trying to make threes and some footwork turnover limit because that's the role we've asked him to well that's not the same for everybody but that alignment of him choosing to be what we want him to be um, is massive. Um, and, and so I think there's just a ton of that. For us, we spend way more time on it. We, we think player development looks like a lot of controlled live situations because of the t- decision-making and fundamentals involved. Um, but uh, it's huge for our program. Uh, In attacking that and then trying to sell it to guys too, in terms of, hey, this is your role and this is the exact usage and the exact footwork and the exact shot we need you to take. Um, I think it's more critical to our success because of our recruitment model, uh, maybe than anything else we do.
1: Well, I think it all ties together because you do such a good job communicating with the players and you evaluate their game and then you talk about what their game is and how you see it and how you can see it evolve and change. And then when you do the individual workouts, you do the individual workouts that are uh, that mirror what they're best at and how they're going to help you on the floor. And you're right, each person's different. You know, you have your couple catch and shoot guys, and you have your guys who attack, and then you have, you know, you guys who do all types of different things from different areas. And so I think that individuality in developing your players really gives you an advantage. And if they want to work on things that you know that that aren't in your lesson plan, uh, they can do that on their own time. I'm sure you don't have a problem
0: with that at all. Yeah, and I think you got to empower them too, right? Like, yeah. I think number one, you got to hit them in the face a little bit with their production levels. Which at the college level, we're so blessed to have synergy, and, and we can really yeah. get the weeds on what they can do. But you also have to hear them, right? So, you know, if you if you want a guy to hone his catch and shoot three, you got to hear what else he wants to add to his game, yeah. and meet him halfway. In that hey, if you master this skill. We'll attack that skill with you, or hey, why you master this skill that I value? We will simultaneously work on this skill of who you want to be as a player. Um, that's the way you really get buy-in from them uh, in terms of that. Is you got to hear their vision for themselves, and the other part of that is like you <laughs> at our level, you got to you got to recruit them honestly in terms of if you tell them they're going to be an all-league player and then they show up and you and you only let them take catch and shoots. Yeah. you're setting yourself and them up for failure. So it's a, it's a fine line. It's a balancing act. It's different for every guy. Um, but I think you've got to incentivize a little bit with, hey, this is our vision for you. This is your vision for you. We can have both simultaneously. I need you to give more for our vision for you, but we'll meet you where you're at.
1: I think that's good advice. Um, you talked a little bit about recruiting and how important character is and character development and how they are as a person. What else do you look for when you're out recruiting? Because that's gotta be the a huge, huge part of your and your assistants' jobs is getting the right guys in.
0: Yeah, it's it's ever evolving. Um I can't remember who told me this, but when I early on in my head coaching experience, um another head coach told me. As You recruit, you're going to choose your own problems Mm -hmm. and you choose what your problem is. And that, that applies in all facets. You choose whether you have to worry about their academics. You choose whether you have to worry about their behavior. You choose whether you have to worry about their ego. You also choose whether you have to worry about their ability to defend. You also choose whether you have to worry about their level of toughness. Um, You choose all those things. And so recruiting is so robust. <laughs> yeah. It's so robust in terms of the level of evaluation uh you try to get um, I think for us, I believe at my very core that the Fresno pacific University men's basketball team's success is fresno pacific's success. I also believe it's the city of fresno's success. I also think it's all the high schools in Fresno's success, and so we are always going to choose to be really really invested in local players who are aligned with what we want in terms of our uh identity building in terms of our culture building in terms of our relationships in terms of our skill sets and all those things um we're always going to be aligned with that because i think that's if if we go win uh a ton of games and we don't represent our community i don't i don't want to do that i'm not Mm -hmm. interested in that because we can do both but you know i think evaluation is really important i think for us, we talk a lot about like, all right, what do they do for us? Uh, When you watch a high school game and there's a five foot nine guard scoring everything at the rim, trying to bully guys, that's not, they're not going to go do that against a six eleven guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or um, a a big wing who takes a ton of mid range contested step back jumpers. Well, like that's not translatable to how we play. We don't take those shots. Um, So I, I think it's really trying to see, okay, what do you do that fits well with what we do? We really generate, we really love catch and shoot threes. Really, really love guys who make the extra pass. We really like fundamental solid and guys that play off of two feet. Um, you know, we, we like guys that stay in front, um, on defense. And so, uh, getting that evaluation can be kind of hard sometimes. Um, defensively but uh you know it's really robust uh it's really involved uh there's a lot of feel to it where you trust your instincts as a head coach in terms of like I really want to coach this guy um you know if I'm going to have a first things meeting with him every week and dialogue about his dreams and his future I I know pretty early on in our phone call conversations if he's going to thrive in that or if we can envision him maturing into that kind of dialogue um and then you know, Fresno Pacific's got a pretty solid academic profile, and so mm-hmm. um, that certainly comes into play as well. And so uh, it's it's ever changing um, for us as we try to evolve and keep up with it. But there's there's a lot to it as we look at recruitment.
1: A couple more things, and I'll let you go.
0: Um, professional
1: development—you've mentioned how big that is. What are some things that you look at um, to develop yourself professionally as a coach and as a teacher?
0: Yeah. I think you know one of the nice things about being um at the college level is professional development is is a part if you're if you're disciplined about it you can b- bake that into your day every single day and so um you know w- I'll choose in this off season right now right now i'm trying to i'm i'm dabbling but we'll try to address like some different um teams to study uh last year i took a a deep dive on virginia's pack line defense and we Watch some Virginia tech stuff with how they used, um, we found some alignment with their, one of their best players and our best player in terms of how they used him scoring wise. Uh, right now I'm getting going on some, um, you know, we, we have the synergy access so we can access every clip from a team we want. Um, for the last five years or whatever, right now we've been, I've been taking a personal look at a lot of the nuggets and the Bucks stuff. They run out of the five out. We've kind of evolved into a five out team. And then, you know, the nice thing about 2020 is there's so many things available. So, you know, what you're doing with this podcast is massive. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the basketball immersion podcast. Um, what Jordan Sperber does with hoop vision, um, both with this podcast and his newsletters that go out. Um, there's just so many opportunities for professional development if we all take, um, ownership of it. And I, you know, one of the greatest things about our games is there's so many sharers. There's so many people who you send an email, you give a phone call to, and they'll just open everything up to you. Um, you know, we, we visited a couple of years ago, we visited Moss at Nevada um and watched him practice for a couple days uh last summer i went down f- to to cal state fullerton and watched them practice um you know uh been in some some nba conversations like i mentioned earlier dave severance has been unbelievable to us in terms of uh, every summer he'll come spend a couple hours with us and then even even at the lower levels uh two summers ago we had adrian wiggins come talk uh mm-hmm. and uh and share with us about some of his defensive philosophies and kind of like bounce some ideas off of him and some other things and um you know you just got to be relentless in your search because all those, all that information is so widely available.
1: Last question here. What advice do you have uh, for coaches, whether they're in the game or thinking about getting in the game or high school coach, college coach, what kind of advice can you give for guys who are coaching right now?
0: Yeah, I I think two things. Um, And I'm in a good way, there isn't one path to, to do this thing that's one of the beauties of basketball is there's not one way to coach that's successful. There's not one pathway. Um, I don't, I don't know very many other people that coached high school for 11 years, college for nine months, and then was a college head coach. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's really important. And I remember as a young coach, uh, thinking I knew all the answers and watching people coach styles of play, accountability, um, values differently than me and always trying to like make that work in my brain with how I wanted to do it. And I think one of the greatest realizations young coaches can make is one, everyone's path is very different Two, there. One of the beauties of our game is that our paths are all different. And the, the styles that emerge from that, um, is part of the beauty of basketball. And so, um, and then, you know, <laughs> coaching is not for the, for the faint of heart. Um, it's, it, there, there's not a lot of money involved. Um, you, you go massively in debt for years and years <laughs> to try to break even. Uh, you know it, it's it, we need good people in our game who lead for the right reasons, who are invested in young people uh, who want to train up future leaders. And, um, you know, we, we try to impart that. We get lots of guys in our program who want to go on to coach. We try to impart that on them. Like there, there's a is one of the greatest things in the world. There are incredible highs and there are incredible relationships. Um, the thrill of winning is incredible. Uh, but there's a there's a deep price to be paid for that with faithfulness, um, with intentionality, with vision. Uh, and so you got to really, you got to really, you're going to rely on those things deeply when you have some dark nights. And so um, I think that's really, really important for young coaches to know.
1: Coach, how can our listeners reach you if they want to reach out for questions or build a relationship? What's the
0: best way to get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, email is probably the best uh, email or Twitter, either one. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Coach CJ Haydock. Uh, my email address is cj.haydock, H-A-Y-D-O-C-K, at fresno.edu. Um, uh, I'm happy to share anything we do, any of our philosophies, uh, questions, or anything like that. Um, people have been incredibly generous with their time and gracious with their uh, wisdom with me, and, and I think it's the least we can do to to pay that forward.
1: Very good. Well, Coach, it was great talking to you today. We will all be rooting for the Fresno Pacific men's basketball team and you as we go forward into this next season coach thank you very much for joining us
0: yep thanks nick i really appreciate it
1: Bye. well that does it for the podcast i hope that you enjoyed it if you'd like to reach out to me you can email me at nickcinato at com. see you next time Yeah, it was awesome. We worked with Kenya Williams. Um, she helped us find our home. Uh, we had been looking for about 30 days and couldn't find what we liked and just, you know, we told her the vision that we had and what we wanted to see for our family and maybe even a size of a family that we wanted to grow. And she found us the perfect home out in Douglasville. It was amazing. We loved it. Um, five bedroom, four car garage, um, behind the house had the creek. It was amazing, who could ask for anything more, right?